Brother Kenny, what am I going to preach? Psalm 26. Did you hear that? And he didn't even say, <laughs> That's just a dead evil moment. <clears throat> Turn to Psalm 26. If you were here Wednesday night, do you remember this? And this? Did I spell the same word two different ways? No. Marcia knows this. Maybe you do too. What's the difference between integrity, now, and integer, a noun? Isn't an integer tested as numbers, doesn't it? One number. Uh, I'll show. <laughs> Still haven't changed. Right. Integrity is the way a person walks and talks and acts. Amen. Ener Amen. Energy is uh, like a square sign. Energy. Like the number two or three to the in math. This is a term or a trait we all ought to have. This is a term to describe God. Ours is a God of integrity. Mm -hmm. And we talk about that. <clears throat> now, this means a number. No decimals, no fractions, <coughs> no radical signs. Just plain old, you know, five is an integer. Negative three is an integer. Zero, zero is considered an integer. You don't count fractions, you don't count percents, nothing with a radical sign or anything like that. Pi, pi is not an integer. Pi is a good dessert, but pi is not. Okay? And there's a reason why. I'll make of that distinction. <coughs> but let's turn to Psalm 26, if you haven't got there already. <coughs> Many times in Scripture, we have what I call bookends. At or near the beginning of a psalm, and likewise, at or near the end of a psalm, it'll come around to a theme or a term. And in Psalm 26, the term is integrity. <coughs> so let's take a look in God's book. Twelve verses to read. <coughs> Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. And you know, when you see the word reins, there's four kinds of reins. Did you know what comes out of the clouds? Which put on a horse? What a king does? And there's me. Okay? This is the one that has to do with the control. Try my reins and my heart. For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes. And I have walked in thy truth. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. You know, troublemakers. Children. Those sort of people. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash mine hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving. Hey, how does the Lord know that we'd be reading this on the Thanksgiving Sunday? He's pretty smart. <laughs> and tell of all thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house, 
and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity. There's our word again. Redeem me and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place. In the congregations will I bless the Lord. <clears throat> integrity seems to be lost on a lot of people today. We live in a world which a lot of people figure, as long as I can make a buck, I'm okay with that. Makes little difference if I have any honesty. Forget about my reputation. It's just going to go for the kitchen. Get it right here. Get it right now. It's interesting to me that God's people are to conspicuously, consciously, and continuously walk before Him. It tells us in Genesis 5, and then in chapter 6, that Enoch, and then it says of Noah, they walked with God. That's worth a whole sermon all by itself, but I'm not going to preach that tonight. It tells us, too, that we're to walk in submission to Him. A lot of scripture to that. I'm going to allude to anybody after service, and we'll, if you tell me where, I got them to notice, but I won't go there tonight. One psalm into one son. It tells us in scripture that we're to walk in truth and uprightness. It tells us it's good for us to walk with others in unity unity, especially with the godly. Psalm 133 opens, oh, how beautiful it is for God's people to walk together in unity. I heard about the church in uh, West Tennessee, they had the Unity Baptist Church, and a quarter mile down the road, they had the New Unity Baptist Church. I don't think they got the idea of what unity was. Sort of like that time I was working around that public school that they had in the gym a big sign. We serve with pride and humility. <laughs> like the man said, I don't think you know what that word means. <laughs> and Amos 3, 3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? I re reference that back to Genesis 5 because Enoch walked with God. And he was not the Lord who took him. And then the next chapter tells us about the godly example of Noah. Noah walked with God. We're to walk with humility. We've got in the hallway here, based on Micah 6, 8. He has shown the old man what is good, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And we should be conscientious, worthy of God. How much of the time do we wonder about if it's worthy of God? Something we could do that would be pleasing in His sight. Well, Ephesians chapter 4, it opens with this little commendation. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Now, vocation, that's not a misspelling of vocation. Your vocation is your calling. Do you have a vocation? As a Christian, you do. It is to be like Christ, to think like Christ, to go where Christ would have you to, and to conduct yourself circumspectly as witnesses of Christ. Amen. So he said, Therefore the prison of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. You know, some people, they get a little bit of recognition and they they struggle around. I am somebody. I'm a, it was a, who was it, Ralph Cramden? He was 
part of the water buffaloes or something. He felt so proud to be a water buffalo. I don't think there's going to be special recognition in heaven for people who are water buffaloes or members of the bats or baboons or anything else. But we have a calling. We are to walk in light of that. And then over in First Thessalonians, he says essentially the same thing. First Thessalonians chapter two and verse twelve. <clears throat> that you would walk worthy of God, who had called you unto his kingdom and glory. You know, some people have a great name. They have a pedigree. They want to live up to their reputation. You're a child of God. You have a high call. That's that vocation. Kicking <clears throat> in there. <clears throat> but then, we're going to walk, and this is where we're going to park tonight for a little bit, in integrity. David is talking <coughs> about walking so, so obviously he sees himself as one who has integrity. This has come up already in the 7th Psalm, the 25th Psalm, and it comes around to it again. And when God cared for the children of Israel, I do want you to turn to this one. Psalm 78, that's right at the end of this psalm. This is a longer psalm. Take a bit longer to read it than some of the psalms, of course. Psalm number 78, look at verse 72. It is the last verse. This is talking about God. How does God do things? He's not slipshod. He's not, well, this will do. That's not our God. We talk about His grace. And I think some people think that when God is going to give us grace, He gets a little eyedropper and you need to, okay, well, no. It says in the 33rd Psalm that He opens the treasure houses. It's like he's got a shovel for us. Psalm 68. For some reason, I always think about a big back when I see this verse. <laughs> Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. God doesn't shortchange us. Right. We might shortchange other people. They might shortchange us. We might shortchange God. But don't think that God is going to shortchange you. So he fed them according to the integrity of <coughs> the integrity of his heart. This is God. He fed the Israelites. They ate angels' food for forty years. God won't say, "Now uh, you just better realize that uh, it's going to be kind of rugged." No. He fed them according to the integrity of his heart. He said it and he did it. He always did what he said. When I was a little kid, there was a guy named Theodore Geisel. You probably know him better by his pen name. He called himself Dr. Seuss. He talked about Horton. <coughs> he was an elephant. And he was given a task. And he says, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. An elephant's faithful 100%. Well, I don't know much about elephants. And I don't know much about folks, but I can tell you this, God is faithful. He doesn't make a promise. Oh, what was I thinking when I said that? Just, just forget about it. No, that's not our God. And when we talk about integrity, we go to the book of Proverbs real quickly. Three passages in Proverbs. But David was close to the Lord, but he had a son who, in his earlier years, was pretty close to the Lord as well. Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 3. The integrity of the upright shall guide them. How do you know the right thing to do? Well, if you're a godly person, you've got God's book. You've got good examples. Go this way. You've got bad examples. Don't go this way. And the integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors 
shall destroy them. Go to the first verse in chapter 19. Will. <clears throat> Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. You see, some people have the attitude, yeah, if you're just some poor Joe Schmo, you're nothing. Nobody cares. But God doesn't see as men see. You might be, as Marcia's dad used to say, poor as Job's turkey, but you do the right thing. You don't cheat people. You, if you make a promise, your word is your body, because you have intent. Your name, Proverbs 22 says, a good name is to be preferred over riches. When someone uses your name, it ought to be to speak of. Here's an example of what I think of as a Christian. <coughs> Sometimes you mention a person's name and they say, how do you know them? Well, they go to our church. Oh, they go to church? That's embarrassing. You know who I'm thinking of. But when somebody says, oh, I know so-and-so. Not too long ago, Marshall was talking to a lady and the lady was telling her that, uh, was it her daughter? I hope this won't embarrass somebody. But the daughter asked a certain young man who's with us tonight if she would escort him to her basketball, prom, homecoming, thank you. And she said, this is fine young man, Scott Carmack. He doesn't talk trash. That's good, Scott. I hope that doesn't embarrass you. We need more young people who have the reputation, who have some integrity. We're careful on what they say and how they say it and where they say it. Those are good things. I like to have good things to report. And if you consider that gossip, well, no, that isn't gossip. It's true. And it's meant not in a malicious way, but an encouraging way. May your tribe increase, brother. You thought what I called you up here was just to chew you out about something. Nope. I don't work that way. I might call you in my office, but not up here right before church. I hope you don't play that way. And in Psalm 20, look at verse 7. The just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. So this very word integrity, very important word. Now what does it mean? Integrity. Well, in the Old Testament, there's a Hebrew word that appears 16 times between Genesis and Proverbs. It's a word that indicates completeness, innocence, soundness, perfection, or uprightness. I heard about an engineering firm that got kind of sloppy in what they did. And they built a bridge, but uh, in with the concrete, they mix oatmeal. You know, the bridge is made out of concrete with rebar. It's probably going to be pretty strong. Now, I'm not a structural engineer, but something tells me a bridge made out of oatmeal, that's not the best ingredient. And so the engineers ran these tests and said, uh, it doesn't have structural integrity. It ain't what it ought to be. And people sometimes have or don't have integrity. When you read the book of Job, it tells us that he was the right kind of man. He loved the Lord, he obeyed the Lord, and he eschewed evil. That's just a way of saying, I don't want to go there. I want to do that. I'm going to think and feel and say and do the things that are honoring God. That's a, that's a good thing. Psalm 37, 37 says, Mark the perfect man. If your name's Mark, you know it's Mark. No, it's not Mark as a noun, it's a verb. Find this person. Follow that good example. Because it's used to indicate a good role model you ought to mark. 
101st Psalm talks about those with a perfect heart. Interestingly, in Second uh, Samuel 15, it's used in simplicity. You know, I have found that there are people who love to use these, I think the French term is double entendre. They'll say something that might sound okay, but it has a double meaning. And uh, they catch somebody saying or doing something, and ah, well, what he doesn't know is that means such and such, and that's you to talk about such and such. And uh, you might turn red in the face, or you might be angry, but uh, pardon me. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were simple in the sense that I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, you know, that has to do with it. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be thinking about that. I wouldn't go there with that. I find somebody wants to tell an off-color joke around me. You sure don't want to laugh at it. You don't want to say, oh, tell me another one. I thrive on that. No, no. But sometimes the best response is to be a pure and wholesome one. And I think in the King James that's how it's talking here. So I said 2 Samuel 15 verse 11. And with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem to recall. And they went in their simplicity. And they knew not anything. I don't think that means they were a bunch of chowderheads and didn't have a clue what was going on. I think as Christians we ought to assume the best about other people instead of automatically assuming the word. Well, he used such and such a word. I used a word in the pulpit once that from my background, I hear my dad use that term. I'm not going to say what it was, but it was a word that it never occurred to me that it might have other meanings. But uh, Marsha's dad called me up after service. Doc, don't ever use that word in the pulpit again. I don't know what you're talking about. What, what yeah. word are you talking And he told me. And I, well, that just means... No, no. In some circles, it means something else. If you are unaware that's not a good... We live in a world that we want to know everything about everything and everybody. And you get in some circles and, well, you're cool if you know all about the drugs and all about the language and this, that, and the other. You can't keep up with that stuff and you wouldn't want to anyway. There really isn't any merit in knowing all the dirt. It's important that we walk the straight and I don't think Job knew about a lot of garbage that may have gone on in his day because he made it a point to stay away from that. Now I have found that if you get around people that like to tell those off-color things and like to have that snicker snicker ha 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 don't encourage them. And if you don't know what they're talking about, what does that mean? I remember third grade, I came home one day and, and we were sitting at the dinner table and I just looked up and I heard a word on the playground. It wasn't a good word. And I looked up, Mom, what? And she threw a fork at me. <laughs> and I swear, what's a word I don't want to use around this, this table? And I noticed that when people were talking trashy, they didn't want to use this kind of language around genteel people. They didn't want to, to expose just how deep they had gone into different things. I had a friend in high school, Dave, and uh, he asked me if I was going to such and such a place, and I said, uh, actually, no. Well, why not? It's too worldly. Worldly? What's that mean? Well, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to live for Jesus Christ. Oh, what is that? 
So a few days later, my friend Eddie, Eddie and Dave and I, we all played chess when we had free time. And Eddie said, hey, Steve, we're, we're going to have us a chess tournament. You want to go? And Dave walked, oh, he doesn't want to play chess. That's too worldly. He was just using it to try to get me. And I said, well, no, I wouldn't say it's worldly. It's, it's, it's almost we do things in moderation. But if there's anything about it that's going to compromise my witness for Jesus Christ, I don't want it. I don't need it. Oh. So we talked about something else after that. You know, some people, they will stick to... I've met some vegans. And if you talk about... Oh, you know, they got McRib. How can you eat that? Well, I open my mouth and put it in. Pretty good stuff. And it's terrible to them. But when you talk about Christian principles... Oh, you're, you're one of those. Yeah. I'm one of those that wants to live for Jesus Christ. And people say, well, you say that because you're a preacher. Well, I say that because that's the, way, that's the way the Bible encourages to be. And do you think you've arrived? Absolutely not. I can lose it. Just like you can. Pray for one another. We get in temptation and that sort of thing can come up. But when we talk about integrity, as it's used in the Old Testament, uh, in the New Testament, it's usually rendered sincerity. You know, somebody signs a letter and they write, sincerely yours. What do they mean by that? Well, let me give you an idea. When Paul writes, for example, 1 Corinthians letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 8. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, it's not the old mindset, the old way, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Be real. Be genuine. Like some of our friends like to say, be, be the real deal there. That's how we ought to be. Go to 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. Again, this word sincerity comes out. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12. For our rejoicing is it. What gets us excited? What shows us to be God's people? For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience that in simplicity, you know, some people say, I don't want to be simple. Sometimes simplicity is underrated. In simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation. That means the way we walk, not the way we talk. And more abundantly to you. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody had to flat out lie about it to say something naughty or negative? That, that's the way we ought to be. Again, go to Ephesians chapter 6. The last chapter in Ephesians. And the last verse. How does Paul sign off to the Ephesians? Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. We have to be wholehearted. We have to be the real deal, as I said. In... Uh, Philippians, the next book, chapter 1, verse 10. That ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Now, we hear the word sincere, we tend to think, well, I'm, I'm not phony about it. Well, it goes a little bit deeper than that. Through and through, you are what you ought to be. You're consistent. You're lifting up Christ. You have some standards. You have some ways of understanding how it ought to be. And uh, this is a special one to me. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 2. 
What should we long for? You know, there's a lot of junk food out there. And there's a lot of Christian junk food, if you will. Why bother studying the Bible? Why memorize passages of Scripture? Why are you trying to wrap your mind around these things? Let us tell you how to think. Look out. That's right. There are people who will be glad to tell you what to think and how to think. God didn't make mistakes in this book. Now there are some things, as Peter himself admitted, <coughs> hard to be understood. But look at chapter 2, verse 2. Because he talks in one about, you don't want to go here. You don't want to do this stuff. But then in verse 2, as newborn babes, we, by the grace of God, brought four babies home from the hospital. Not a one of them complained about the drapes, did they? Not a one of them complained about the things that they said. Hey, the car we rode in, it wasn't a brand new car. Hey, uh, this is... No. They just grew up in that arrangement and as newborn babes. <coughs> we are to spiritually desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. That word sincere means literally without wax because in the marketplace the agora or agora as some English people English speaking people call it it was a, a wide open market kind of like a flea market and you could show up in the agora and you everything. they got vegetables over here and they got cloth over there and lovely baubles there, and there were pots. Pots, pots, and more pots. And three, four weeks ago, we went to San Antonio, saw a lot of pots. So we eat pot. Uh, you know, it wasn't, no, we're not talking, I don't want any pot. I want a pot. You know, Marsha likes pots to put flowers in and other things. And you see, some of these people, they would they would shape up the clay, and the pot was looking pretty good. But somehow, when it was drying or being fired, I think they call it, in a kiln, it gets a crack down the edge. So some people say, it's ruined. I put all that time in. What am I going to do? Well, some shyster says, you know what? Let's get some wax, and we'll fill in the cracks with the wax. And they won't know any better. We'll slap some paint on the front and the back, and inside and out, and sell it like a genuine 100% article. And you know what people would do? they buy one of these pots, and they get it home, and it would be cold water, it would be hot water. They put hot water in that. What do you think happened when the hot water hit the wax in the cracks? And so guess what? I paid good money for this pot. And it's got a crack. It was filled in with wax. So, once bitten, twice shut. So some of these folks... The next time they're shopping for pots, they would take the pot. Oh, let, let me see this pot. Well, sir, you can see. Oh, let me just pick it up. They would pick it up and hold it so the sunlight would show through. And they would slowly turn it. And then they came across this. Oh, yes, I can see sunlight. I can see daylight coming through that. Well, sir, I don't see a crack. Well, it's obviously a crack. It's filled in with wax. And you put it back. And if they said, oh, don't worry about that. The first time you put hot water in it, you'll be sorry. And that's the word here that is translated sincere. You are the real deal. It might look really good. It might seem to be serviceable. But 
if it hasn't been tested. Dad always said, when you buy oil for the car, get one that meets or exceeds the manufacturer's specifications. Well, Dad, there's some oil that's a lot cheaper. Yeah, and you get what you pay for. And I learned the hard way. Well, we want to be sincere. No wax. We are through and through. We are just exactly what we ought to be. Now today when we talk about integrity, we talk about a person who displays a principled devotion to values and beliefs. We quoted John Gill this morning. He was an apostle, but he was a pretty smart guy. And he knew a lot about English. He defines integrity as the purity of one's intentions and designs. If you have the best of intentions, and you're asked a question, you know, I, I like this, when I'm not sure about some I could be wrong about this, but I'm not going to say that when I'm reading God's Word to you, but if you ask me a question about something, and frankly, I, I said, well, I've heard this, but, but I, I can't say that this is absolutely so. So take that with an advisement on that. But uh, if I tell somebody something and it turns out what I said was wrong, and sometimes well-meaning people they'll repeat things, and it doesn't occur to them, I'll give you an example. There was a big shot preacher. And he was in this conference. And he said, I'll tell you what, when it comes to dedication to Christ, you need to be like this soldier I heard about. He was in Napoleon's army. And the man had lost his arm in battle. And Napoleon saw him, was going to give him this nice medal <coughs> for what he had given up to help win the battle. And Napoleon made a comment about, I'm giving you this size medal because you gave up your arm. But if you lost both arms, I'd give you a much bigger medal. Whereupon the fellow grabbed the sword and chopped off the other arm. Woo, now that's dedication. Yeah. And all these preachers heard that. And you know, the next Sunday they couldn't wait to use that as an illustration. That sounds good. Preachers said, That'll preach. No, that won't preach. Because sooner or later, somebody in one of the congregations said, Preacher, I got a question for you. What's that? Well, you said there was this guy that was missing one arm, and when he realized he could have gotten a bigger medal, he pulled out that sword and he hacked off his other arm. Dependable 
authentic stuff in this book. We don't have to make stuff up. Amen. So if you see something in the National Enquirer, uh, just consider the source, folks. Just consider the source. And just because it's in print, don't make it so. I'll tell you about that some other time. A fella in the, in the hills of Mississippi, he, as far as he's a, if it's in the book, I believe it. Now, if it's in this book, I believe it. But when he showed up once with Reader's Digest, Tales of the Unexplained, and it was all about monsters and aliens and Bigfoot and all this stuff. Just because somebody puts it down in print doesn't make it so. Now, if it's in God's book, then we go with that. But anything else, we're up for discussion, okay? Like a very godly man once told me years ago, that just proves that a piece of paper will lay still and let anybody write anything they want on it. And so it's important. Now, I asked you about these two words because I used to work with a preacher in the prisons and uh, he talked about integrity. And that's good. But there's a fly in the ointment sometimes because he said, by the way, if you're a person of integrity, well, why not just say you're a person of integrity? But he said, you know, there's a word that means integrity. Integer. Would you like to be an integer, brother? How do y'all all want to be integers? And uh, <coughs> you mean you want me to be a tiger? No, an integer. That's what this word means. I've yet to find a dictionary in any kind of English that says this means. Now, the root means the same thing because an integer is whole. And if you have integrity, you're morally whole. You live by the code that you know is right. And they're similar in the base, but they mean different things. So, so be careful, because you could very innocently use a good word in a not-so-smart way. Well, let's go back and review the psalm real quickly, because I want to show you six Six different ways we speak of the manner of those who have integrity. If you're saying, I wonder if I'm a person of integrity. Well, uh, let's just see what it says as we look at six things in this song. In verse 1, if you have integrity, by the way, there's an adjective uh, to be integrous. That means to be marked by integrity. But please don't tell anybody that you're an integer. And if you do, don't tell Steve Ransom. Yeah, that means, no, 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 no. But uh, just, just, you know, there are enough people making up phony words as it is. So just, just stick, to, stick to what you find in the dictionary. Verse 1. Judge me, O Lord, for I've walked in mine integrity. Our confidence is to be in the Lord. The Lord laid down the word and we're to follow it. No ifs, ands, or buts. I think many of us could quote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lead not thy own understanding. And all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Verse number 2. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. You stand the examining eye of God. I've started wearing glasses again, so I don't have my little, you know, magnifier. But uh, are you willing to come under God's inspection? The last two verses of Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, I'm human, just like you, anybody else. I have blind spots. You have blind spots. Sometimes we, well, I'll give someone to a pass because I did that too, so I'm not going to be critical of that. But when you come under the scrutiny of God, that should be our request. Lord, examine me. Look at my mind. Look at my heart. Look at the direction which I'm going. And see if there be any wicked way in me. 
drop down to verses 4 and 5, and then 9 and 10, we should be careful not to commune with the evil. If you're a person of integrity, there are some people you don't need to be around. I know it's deer season. I understand that. But uh, I don't know if he ever said it here. It wouldn't surprise me if he did. But Brother Heath, more than once in meetings, he'd say, I love to go deer hunting. But I got some friends. I got some neighbors. I even got some family folk. I don't want to deer hunt with them. Because some of the things they say and do, some of the things they don't say and don't do, it, it tears me down. It, it uh, disturbs me. <coughs> and so, when we commune with those other ones, <laughs> how does the first psalm begin? Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of men of God, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. There are some people that just aren't healthy for your spiritual life to be around. Now, sometimes you can talk with people. You don't compromise yourself, but you let it be known. I stand for God's Word. And my Savior is the Lord Christ. I know I told you, we had a guy a couple of years before we left Ben. He came on a Wednesday night, and he says, Hey, I, got, I figured out who Jesus is. He's a vampire. And I very bluntly said, Sir, we have nothing to talk about. defend the foolish comments of somebody who who knows what they're drinking or smoking or whatever. Now we need to say this is God's word and we're going to go with that. And number four, if you possess integrity, you're going to gratefully bespeak the greatness and the goodness of God. Vain man wants to talk about how special he is. I've been here. I know so and so. I've done such and such. Look at me. The godly man says, look at our God. Look what he's done. I will speak of what he has done. And we see that in verse 7 here. That I may publish, and that doesn't mean I have a printing press going, but get the word out there. That I may publish with the voice of there it is, Thanksgiving. An ungrateful person doesn't have it together. They think, well, I deserve that. Like the fellow I told you about who was told, you ought to go to God and repent. He says, God will forgive me. That's his job. Beware, presumptuous sin. The 19th Psalm tells us. So that's all through the Word. And number five, uh, if you have integrity, you're at home in the presence of God. You want to be. That's going to come out again in the next Psalm, the fourth verse. The thing I desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord and behold His beauty. You think in heaven, the time, the things that we do with a lot of our time in this life, uh, I'm thankful for blessings that people send my way, but I'm, I'm thinking there's a lot of things that there won't be in heaven. I spent a lot of time in prison ministry, but there won't be prisons in heaven. I'm not saying everybody in prison won't be there, but uh, there won't be prisons. There won't be a hospital. There won't be an awful lot of things that would plague us. Verse 8. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. There we have it. And verse 12. My feet standeth in an even place. In the congregations will I bless the Lord. If we're children of God, you and I are going to spend eternity blessing the Lord. We're not going to be patting ourselves on the back. We, we, we did it right. We, we got it right, buddy. And, and here we are. No. And then the last thing. Always to be aware of one's need of the Lord's mercy. 
Again, the 11th verse, first part, says, As for me, I will walk in mine integrity. What is the cry? Redeem me and be merciful unto me. Now, I was studying on this earlier this week. I had no idea that, I think you said, you know, if you go to Psalm 136, what's that? Say? Somebody working it. Psalm 136, it does talk about giving thanks to God, but the last part of every one, there are 26 verses, one for every letter in our alphabet. And the last part is, for His mercy endureth forever. If you want to a head start in Bible memory. Start with Psalm 136. You can quote all 36 verses, the 26 verses, the, the last part anyway. And so just learn those others that you can always get around to. For his mercy endure the just like a chorus in a song. I usually learn the chorus before I learn the other part of the song, but uh, there there you have that. So our lives, may we be distinguished. By three things. A holy innocence. We talked about that already. Completeness. You know, it says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study and show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. God has given us this great book. And then finally, I mentioned the first psalm, and I talked about verse 1. Look at verses 2 and 3. If you're a person of integrity, this describes you. No matter how old, you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be uh, somebody who's been a Christian for 88 years or anything like that. But what's it say? This is positive. His delight is in the law of the Lord. You mean the Ten Commandments? Well, not just the Ten Commandments. His law word. God has laid down the law. When God says a thing, it makes little difference whether you like it or not, or I like it or not. God said it in His book. We're going to go with that. Mm -hmm. But His delight is the law, and in His law doth He meditate day and night. Do you think more about what God has said in His Word? Do you talk about it? Do you sit down at the table, or, or you're, you're talking to people at work? You know, sometimes you walk into somebody's office and they got a Bible verse and they, <laughs> what's that supposed to mean? Well, I'm glad you pointed out. That's a, that's a verse that I live by. Let me tell you something about that. Oh, one of those. One, yeah, that's me. I'm one of those. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Now, we're not talking about a piece of straw. We're talking about a flower that's here today and gone tomorrow. That bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, whether whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You want God's blessing? You want to know that you're moving in the direction God would have you to be? Be this person of integrity. And if you goof and call yourself an integrity, just don't know. But let's stand.